Boy, that ended suddenly and I was caught out in the middle of the congregation there. <laughs> Friends, this is exciting. It's always exciting to me when we start a series of messages. Uh, but it's always exciting as well when we end because with the summer series, this is not the last Sunday of summer, but it's the last Sunday of August. And uh, September is around the corner. Kids are, yeah, we should have prayed. Kids are going back to school this week. Add that to your prayers this week for a safe uh, going back to school and that the teachers and those making decisions that coming out of a pandemic with loosening restrictions, caseloads increasing, all the challenges just pray for a good back to school this coming week for the families and kids. But it is the end today of our summer series of messages. You think a series called The Twelve would go 12 weeks, but in fact it's gone about 12 weeks. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not bang on uh, each Sunday it was a different apostle because today is the wrap-up catch-up Sunday. These are the apostles... The apostles without many speaking parts. Some of them never say a word in Scripture at all. None that's recorded. We know they, they did things. They followed Jesus. They were faithful people. They were called by Him. But they are always in the background. Just to remind you once again of Jesus and His call to the apostles. We, we have it on the screen. One of the many passages that record that from Luke chapter 6. I'll begin a verse earlier, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles, means the sent ones, ambassadors, and it names them. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas, Iscariot, who became a traitor. That's Luke's recording of them. We know there's some differences in the other listings of the apostles, those in the Synoptic Gospels, in John, and even in the book of Acts, but that's primarily always because of the various names these men carried. Some of them were the names they were born with, and some of them were names that Jesus gave them, like Peter to Simon. Remember, all but Judas were Galileans. Judas was from Judea, south of Jerusalem, the village of Scariot. He was the man of Scariot, Iscariot. All of the other were Galileans, and Galilee was known as Galilee of the Gentiles. 300 years earlier, a young man named Alexander, he conquered the known world. And he brought to that world not only military conquest, but he saw himself as civilizing them by bringing Greek culture, the Greek language, like Calliope, their myths, their legends, their stories, all of these Greek Hellenistic aspects of culture he left behind. What he would do as he traveled along as his soldiers were either wounded or couldn't go much further in this ongoing conquest, he would cashier, take out the worn-out troops, the Greek troops. He would found Greek-speaking cities. They would take wives from the local populace and they would plant Greek culture. 
That was an amazing plan, and it really took root in the Galilee to such an extent that these Jewish men in Galilee of the Gentiles, they probably spoke not only Aramaic, a form of Hebrew, a, a, a cousin of Hebrew, that they brought back from captivity, but they also spoke fluently Greek, Koine Greek, marketplace Greek, because that was the language of commerce in the world. It makes sense that these men, even their Hebrew names, have Greek endings. Like Judah in Greek becomes Judas. Judas isn't a bad name that only Judas Iscariot holds, as you see on the screen, Judas son of James. He was also named after patriarch Judah. But these men had often entirely different Greek names as well as Hebrew names. That's why we see them name different things. Like Levi, son of Alphaeus. He's known as Matthias. He has another name, Matthew. They have multiple names, and sometimes that's confusing. It'll get even more confusing, or maybe we can raise the curtain a little bit, because one of the apostles we're going to finish up looking at today has three names. He's known by three different names in Scripture. So, we'll join. I call these men the quiet heroes. These are the background apostles. Oh, in these weeks that have gone by, we have seen bold, brash, loud, foot-in-the-mouth Peter. We have seen bold James, son of thunder. We have seen the transition of his brother John from a son of thunder to the apostle of love. We saw Thomas, who was skeptical and doubting. We saw Philip and Nathaniel, such good friends, but really... Can you take seriously anybody who comes from Nazareth? We saw the aforementioned Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, gathering his taxes at the booth, hated by all of his countrymen, doing the work of uh, Herod Antipas, the, the king, and, and his Roman overseers. We saw all of these men, for better or for worse, these 12 ordinary men with their strength as well as their weaknesses. But in the midst of Scripture, some of the apostles, some of the twelve, drift to the background. There's a phrase, they were mentioned in passing. We pass them by. Their names are mentioned in Scripture, but we never hear from them. We don't know any actions they did. We don't know any correction Jesus gave them. We don't know any, any commendation He gave them. They blend into the background. They're the supporting cast the background players. I put this picture up there from one of the Jesus movies made of the, of the Synoptic Gospels because in the front, oh, there's Peter. He's the stocky guy on the right. You know, you have all of the guys. There's John with the short hair and, and even Judas I can see. But there's some of them, you don't even see them. They're in the background. That's James, son of Alphaeus. That's Thaddeus. That's, that's uh, Judas not Judas Iscariot. He's just known for who he isn't, much less what he did. Now these men, these quiet heroes, we're going to see today that you and I have probably more in common with them than any of the more famous apostles. We'll look at each of the three in turn because each one, even if we only know their name and their mention in passing, I believe they're in Scripture for a reason. Jesus prayed all night and chose them specifically for the task that lay ahead of winning the world to Christ, sharing the good news of God's love 
with the whole world. And even these background apostles can teach us something important. Well, the first one we want to look at is James, son of Alphaeus. You'll know him. He's the small one. Now, the reason I say that, that's literally what his name is mentioned in Scripture. That is his defining feature. He's often called James, son of Alphaeus. Remember, this is a day where they didn't have what we think of as proper last names. They didn't have Christian names, given names, surnames. They had a name, James. Remember, James is the, is the translated through Greek and Spanish into English. It's originally the name Jacob. He was named Jacob, like the patriarch. Jacob and his son and his father, rather, was Alpheus. You'd often name the father just to tell people apart. There are so many Jameses in the New Testament. So many were named after Jacob that it's difficult to tell them apart. So you say who their father was or what town they were from or what they looked like. All of these were helpful in place of last names. So James has a couple of those to tell him apart from all the other Jameses. Remember the bold one, James, son of Zebedee? Remember the one, the head of the church in Jerusalem? James, the half-brother of Jesus? These were the big players in the early church. But then you have James. James who? Son of Alphaeus. Well, Matthew's dad was Alphaeus. Who? The little one. Oh, that James. James the little one. Literally, that is what he's called. James, son of Alphaeus. We know him from King James translations as James the Lesser. James the Less. Let's look at that. That passage is mentioned, James the Less. It's the story of Jesus' crucifixion in Mark chapter 15. In Mark chapter 15, we're told that there was a group of women who didn't desert Jesus. They stood at the foot of the cross, weeping and faithfully attending Jesus, even to his death. While the men, the disciples, had scattered in fear, many of these women are mothers of the twelve. We've seen that earlier. James, John, many of them, their mothers followed along, took care, cooked meals, helped the guys on the road, They were there. It's interesting. We're told in verse 40 of Mark 15, some women were watching. This is the crucifixion. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene. You think James is bad. Every woman in the New Testament's named Mary. They just were. They just were. Among them were Mary Magdalene. That's the village she's from, Magdala. Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and Joseph and Salome, James the Younger. That didn't sound right. That's New International Version. When you go to a, an accurate version, like uh, literally accurate, like the English Standard Version, we see it translated as Mary, the mother of James the Less, and Joseph and Salome. Joseph, that's a Greek version of Joseph. The women were often known by who their children were. The men were known by who their father was. And one of her children is the apostle James, son of Alphaeus. And here he's called James the Less. Why less? Well, it's the Greek word mikratos. And that means little. James the 
little. Now it can have a number of meanings. Either James was the smallest of the bunch. He was the little guy. He was the runt of the litter. And for us, they would all be small men to us today. They were almost four inches shorter on average than people are today. A tall man in Jesus' day would be five foot, five foot six. Right in there. Five, 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 six. You're tall. Six foot, you would be on the Israeli national basketball team. You would tower over everybody. James the less, if he really was shorter than the other guys, maybe not, maybe uh, Zacchaeus the wee little man short, but he was maybe smaller than the others. Maybe he was fine bone. Maybe uh, he had uh, Joseph, his brother, was maybe bigger. It can mean little physically. It can also mean younger. It can also mean that a person is uh, short or small or young or just less well-known than one of the others. But it defines you as less. When we see that, we would think, well, James the less, he's the less important one. But not in God's eyes. This was a descriptive term to tell him apart. And we would look at him and say, yeah, he's obscure. He never speaks in Scripture. He blends into the background. We won't even pay attention to him. But you and I have so much in common with him. Jesus prayed all night and he chose him for a reason. Jesus didn't pick the tall ones, the strong ones, the smart ones, the flashy ones. He picked the normal ones, the ordinary ones. The ones that when they, empowered by the Holy Spirit, preached mightily, did incredible signs and wonders and works, everybody would know it was God at work in them. And that's what God does to this very day. In James, son of Alphaeus, known as James the small, the young, the short, the less, in this obscure James, we see ourselves. Because Scripture tells us that God still chooses the weak ones to confound the strong of this world. That familiar passage we find in 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth where the people were starting to feel that some of them were better than others. They were starting, some were very proud of who they were and their attainments as believers and that they were spiritually a cut above others. And Paul stops them in their tracks and says, all of us, we're the rejected of the world. God chose us for a reason. He didn't pick the great ones he picked us, just as he did with James, son of Alphaeus. Paul writes in beginning in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 1, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Well, that's not what we weren't. What are we? But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It's because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who's become for us the wisdom from God. 
That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Friends, like James, son of Alphaeus, we don't claim God's favor for anything we can do, anything that we are. But we realize all the good that we have, the wisdom that we have. It comes from God's Word through God's Spirit in us. The strength we have is God's strength. As Paul says, when I was weak, then I am strong. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. That's the lesson of James, son of Alphaeus. Obscure, less than others, the background fellow. Boy, he's a lot like us. Moving from him, we move to one of the controversial picks of Jesus' team, the twelve. Simon, the zealot, a terrorist, straight up. But in Christ's time, we see him as a converted terrorist. Now, the zealots, we have to say a word about that. And you know, Pastor Allen and Bible history, I'll try to keep it brief and to the point. There were a number of groups in Jesus' time. Just as Jewish people have different types of Judaism today. We have Reformed Judaism. We have a more conservative Judaism. In Jesus' day, the varieties were far more different. Very different. Realize that most of the branches of Judaism today are all descended from the Pharisees who were the only ones to survive the destruction of Israel in their war against Rome. They all kind of come from that Pharisaic branch of Judaism. So they're closer than they are far apart. In Jesus' day, they were wildly different. Now Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, uh, who was actually adopted into the family of the Roman emperor after he lost the battle to them in that Jewish war, Josephus wrote about to his Gentile readers who the people were, those different groups in Judaism that Rome went to war with. He mentions the first four. He says, you know, there's the Pharisees. They're real fussy about keeping the law, especially the food they eat. They want to be super kosher people. He said, then there's the Sadducees. They're the more liberal bunch. They didn't believe all the Bible was from God and, and they were very earthly oriented, but they were in control of the temple. So they made a lot of money off the temple. He says, and there there was hermits out in the desert, the Essenes, modern people. We remember them probably as the people who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. He says, they were hermits. They were celibate. They adopted orphans to keep their group going. And they were like, they were like uh, the prophet Elijah out in the desert down by the Dead Sea. And then he mentions the fourth one, the zealots. Of the zealots, he writes... Of the fourth sect of Jewish philosophy, Judas the Galilean was the founder. These men agree in all other things with the Pharisaic notions, but they have an inviolable attachment to liberty and say that God is to be their only ruler and Lord. They also do not value dying any kinds of death. Nor indeed do they heed the deaths of their own relatives and friends. Nor can any such fear make them call any man their master. 
And since this immovable resolution of theirs is well known to a great many, I shall speak no further about the matter, nor am I afraid that anything I have said of them should be disbelieved, but rather fear that what I have said is beneath the resolution they show when they undergo pain. Did you get that? This was a group that hated the Romans. They wanted no one to politically to control Israel but the Jews. They wanted to throw out the Romans and they would go to any length. They were outlaws. They were terrorists. They were assassins. They were not only known as the zealots because they were zealous for freedom, but they were also called the Sicarii, which was the dagger that they carried because they used it hidden in the folds of their robes as an assassin's tool. In a crowd, they would put the dagger between the ribs of a person's back right into their heart and they assassinated numerous Roman soldiers and officials. They loved to assassinate tax collectors who they saw as traitors. And Jesus chooses one of these men, zealots, Josephus said it would be great if they were zealous to do good, but they were zealous to do evil. In fact, they were growing in popularity right up until the destruction of Israel at the hands of the Romans. And during that war, they killed more of their fellow Jews than they killed Romans in the fight. They're mentioned in Scripture, especially remember Josephus says their founder was Judas the Galilean. In Acts chapter 5, one of the Pharisees on the Sanhedrin, the great teacher Gamaliel, talks about the daggermen founded by Judas the Galilean. He says, these Christians, if we fight and try to destroy them, maybe they'll turn out to be like the followers of Judas the Galilean. But he says, if God is in this, we're going to be fighting against God. So he uses the zealots as an example Verse 37, he's mentioned one rebel already named Thutis, and then Gamaliel goes on and says, After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And that's, as we know, exactly what happened. Now, why would one of these men, a zealot, be following Jesus because remember he chose the 12 out of the larger group of disciples who from the time of John the Baptist many of them were already following him a group that probably measured in the hundreds at this time and Jesus chooses 12 to focus the last half of his ministry in training them well can you imagine seeing this fiery preacher and teacher from the Galilee who goes to Jerusalem and turns the religious institutions on their head and tax collectors because zealots hated to pay any kind of tax. They killed tax collectors. Well, look what Jesus, remember what Jesus did as recorded for us in John chapter 2. Speaking of Jesus, John writes, after seeing that the temple had become more like a marketplace, 
So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. That's the kind of leader a zealot would want to follow. Somebody who was as zealous for his country as he was. So very likely, very likely, Simon the zealot followed Jesus for earthly reasons, political reasons. The New Testament always links the apostles in pairs because Jesus sent them out in pairs, two by two. Do you know who Simon the zealot's partner was in those cases? Judas of Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. Some people think he also belonged to the party of the zealots. But where Judas never was a believer in Jesus. He wanted to see freedom. He wanted to make a lot of money on the side. He had all these earthly reasons, but he never gave his heart to Jesus. Somewhere along the line, who Jesus was and what the kingdom of God was all about broke through to him and he was wonderfully saved. And he left his red, bloody-handed life as a terrorist and outlaw behind and became an ambassador of God's kingdom. No longer did he fight to be a citizen of a free Israel, but he understood that through faith in Christ, he became a citizen of heaven. Friends, that's what we are today as well. In these divisive times where America is politically divided, red and blue, right and left, Canada's in the midst of a fractious election, the prime minister's hounded by vocal protesters. Social media, the internet, inflame passions. Let Simon the Zealot be a warning to us. Do not plant your flag on any earthly political party. Likely all parties have some things that followers of Christ can say amen to, can agree with. If they're not our enemies, Jesus says, they're our friends. Work with who you can work with, where you can work with them. But don't give your heart to an earthly political party because every party also has aspects and planks in its platform that are abhorrent to you as a person of faith. Don't give your heart to any earthly country. Be the best citizen you can, but realize your ultimate allegiance and citizenship is to God alone and to heaven. As the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, Beginning in verse 18, he contrasts an earthly mindset with heavenly citizenship. He says, For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we are today. What a good reminder. Simon the Zealot. 
the former zealot, is to us as he became a faithful follower of Jesus. Though he's just a background character. Him and James, son of Alphaeus, we never have a recorded word from them. But the third and final background character, quiet hero for us today, does get to ask a question in Scripture. His name is Judas, son of James. The other Judas. And I've dubbed him the soft-hearted one. If James, son of Alphaeus, is the little one, this is the tender-hearted one. He's the softy of the bunch. And we know that because he is the one with three names. As you look through Scripture, you think Jesus had far more than 12 apostles because of all the various names they have. And this fellow had at least three that he's referred to by. In fact, the early translator of Scripture and teacher in the early church, Jerome, St. Jerome, he dubbed this apostle Trinomius, which as you can make out means the man with three names. Probably his given name is as stated in the Luke listing, Judas, son of James. But we know him better, and he's more often referred to by nicknames, Thaddeus and Labaius. Thaddeus and Labaius are both pet names. <laughs> They're not one like James the Less, Mikratos, which can be like a tall guy being called Shorty or a hefty guy being called Slim. You know, we have these ironic names. This is a name that was given to you by your mom. It would be your mom would call you Thaddeus because you were the sweetest little baby and you were always, no matter how old you get, you are her baby and that will never change. In fact, I won't be graphic. I promised my wife. I won't be graphic. Thaddeus is a very graphic name. It means basically nursing child. He's a mama's boy. That's what Thaddeus means. You are mom's little boy. I will never let you go. I will never wean you. You're going to be mine forever. That's what Thaddeus means. His other nickname, Labaius, means the one in my heart. Leb is heart in Hebrew. Labaius, the man of my heart. <laughs> Thaddeus, my little nursing child, I will never let you go. You are mama's boy. Labaius means tender-hearted. And it's interesting, the only time we see him ask a question, Jesus answers it in a tender way. Speaking of love. In fact, it's in the upper room, John chapter 14. Philip as we saw a couple weeks ago, just asked a question and Jesus hammered him. Philip, I cannot believe you would ask that. Show us the Father. Haven't you been with me all these years? You've seen the Father. You know, Jesus just read Philip the riot act. Philip, you're slow to learn. You're just not getting it. Your head is thick. You're not understanding. And then Thaddeus raises his hand. <laughs> he has a question too. But Jesus... He treats him tenderly and gives him a lesson on love. He's trying to put it together, what Jesus is saying in the upper room. But Judas, son of James, known as Thaddeus, he asked the question, he's saying, Jesus, 
just show yourself to everybody. He wants, he wants Jesus still to be king. Jesus, just show yourself to the people. Make yourself manifest. Put yourself out there and it's all going to be good. You're going to be accepted as king. It says in verse 22 of John 14, Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend, why do you intend to show yourself to us? And not to the world. Because Jesus said, I'm going to reveal myself to you and you'll know the Father and, and you'll be in me and the Father will be... He's talking about the unity we have through faith. And here's Thaddeus thinking of political things. Jesus, show yourself. Be king. But Jesus replies, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. Jesus is saying, I'm here to establish my kingdom, not a physical kingdom of territory and countries, but I want to rule and reign in hearts. In hearts. In Judas, Mama's boy, Labaius, tender-hearted, Jesus says, that's where I want to rule. Because my followers need to be, like your nickname implies, we need to be tender-hearted because it is in our hearts through the love of God that Jesus rules and reigns. It's in keeping with His name. What's Ephesians chapter 4? The Apostle Paul speaks to us. Ephesians 4, our example. Paul says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We are all to be like Judas, son of James. We're all to have a little of that Thaddeus and Labaius in us. Tender, soft-hearted people, forgiving and loving because Jesus in His love forgave us. We are to give as good as we have gotten from God. Well, we just know so little about these men. But the lessons they have for us are still so important. And we wrap up the whole kit and caboodle, all 12 of them, good and bad, faithful and traitor, all of them, by remembering the faithful witnesses that they were. Jesus, for many of them, said, follow me, and they did. They followed him not only with their lives, but with their deaths as well. These that we've spoken today, they all died violent deaths as well. In fact, in the church uh, icons, the symbol of Thaddeus, Judas the Apostle, son of James, his symbol is a club. Why? Because that's what they used to beat him to death as he witnessed the love of Jesus to a hurting world. He's known for going north to the great city of Edessa, there are numerous records in history that King uh, Abregar, the king of Edessa, was healed uh, through the ministry of the Apostle Thaddeus. So they continue to be men of faith. Friends, they were with Jesus those days. They seemed long while they were there, but they went by so quick. And then they lived their life for Christ. Where others would turn back these men, apart from Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, these men were faithful to the end. And that life of faith as we know today 
as people who follow Jesus, but also in the footsteps of the twelve, it's not always easy. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith. And speaking of the hard life that people of faith have lived, the author of Hebrews writes in verse 36, Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in caves and holes in the ground. (laughs) Encouraging, isn't it? (laughs) The life of faith that God calls us to live. Remember, He calls the weak and the foolish to depend on Him and find our strength and wisdom in Jesus. And though this world is not worthy of that love that is poured out on it, God sees it. He sees everything. And friends, just as He one day will reward the faith that you live your life by, you'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. What of the twelve? Those twelve ordinary men who left everything behind to follow Jesus. We see their names written in heaven. The foundations of the new Jerusalem. Not only is life of faith difficult, but it's always rewarded by God. The last glimpse we see of the twelve as they fade into history from the pages of Scripture is found in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 beginning in verse 10. The Apostle John tells of the bride of Christ. The new Jerusalem. The church. The people of faith. Verse 10 writing of that vision of the holy city. John writes, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city. Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and the brilliance was like that of very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and the twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations and on them written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. You understand the picture of that? Is that the family of God, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, is built upon the foundation of the faithfulness of these twelve ordinary men. People no different than you and I. And if we see what God accomplished through their faithfulness, Imagine as he carries on that story what he wants to accomplish through your life today. Let's pray. And as we pray, I'll call upon the worship team to join me for our closing song. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the encouragement, for the instruction, and for the lessons that we find in the lives of these men. Men who are only different from us because they said yes to following Jesus. They're known, Father, not for their skill, not for their abilities, 
but for who their Master was. And Father, that's our desire for my life and our lives today. The people see in us not our wisdom, not our strength, but Lord, they see Jesus. They get a glimpse of His love, His care for them, the truth that He brings in this dark world. Father, may Jesus shine through our lives today as He did through the lives of these 12 ordinary men. This is our prayer. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.